One through five. come before you as your covenant people, Lord, as we who are bought by the blood of Christ Jesus, that we are your people and you are our God, and you call and urge us, Lord, to bring our prayers and praise before you, God Almighty. And we do indeed praise you as we will sing and read of this psalm of praise for answered prayer, God, how you indeed answered our prayers in small and great, wonderful ways for our home, for our health, and for our employment, God, for our nation, for each other, for our church, our grateful God you answered many a prayer, Lord. May we not uh, fall into the confusion and misunderstanding that answered prayer is only that which is miraculous and amazing, but even what is called the mundane things of life, God, are an answer to many prayers of many saints. And God Almighty, we stand in awe of who you are. We extol your great deliverance. We recollect, Lord, upon your wonders for us, Lord, and even as we recollect our own errors and sins in our life, and praise you forevermore, God, for your faithfulness in answering our prayers, Lord, even when you answer them your way instead of ours. We pray, God, not only for ourselves, and think not only of ourselves, but for each other, especially for those who are poor among us and poor friends that we know of in Christian churches nearby and across this nation, God Almighty, that you would be with them and help them. They get better employment, they get better control of uh, their finances or whatever they may need, God Almighty, and that we would not forget them and help them to the extent that they need help and the kind of help that they may need, Lord. 
And we are called in the Word of God to take care of the poor and needy and the widow and, uh, Lord, the those without parents, God, uh, the orphans. And it's those in the church especially that the Bible is speaking of. And so, God, we pour out our hearts for them unto you, God, and for those that we know and others that we do not know, but know that they are out there. Lord God Almighty, help the churches, help the families of the Church of God, help those families, help those individuals, Lord, who are especially needy in the kingdom of God. We ask, God, that you would also be uh, with those with money and extra money and the like, that they, Lord, know that they are put here on earth to help their family, to be sure, but to help those around them, again, the church especially, and the poor and needy in their midst, God, again, with wisdom in accordance to your law, and certainly with love and a liberalness of mind and heart. God, we pray that these things will continue in our churches to grow in love for one another and desire to help one another in practical and in real ways, Lord. And certainly continue to pray, God, and ask for wisdom. Sometimes we don't always know exactly what we can do. Sometimes the difficulties and circumstances, both financially and spiritually, for those who are struggling in various uh, sundry ways, Lord, uh, suffering with difficulties of their mind or their heart, Lord. And depression and variations of these things, God. We don't always know exactly what to do or what to say, and so we are sometimes silent, although we are there always praying in our heart, God. Help us, we pray to that end, to show this love and that those who are struggling with such things, both materially and spiritually, we know that we are there for them and uh, loving them, God, even if we can't always do what we wish we could do. We do ask, God, that you would strengthen our churches, strengthen our church here and our presbytery and other churches across the city of Denver, Lord, that love you and try to follow your word with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, God, that we would grow spiritually, that we would grow in obedience, we would grow in the fruit of the Spirit and patience and long-suffering and in joy of the salvation and deliverance that we have through our Lord and Savior. We are thankful, God, for the many things that we have, and we ask and desire us, Lord, of your Spirit to be upon us, that we would grow in holiness and obedience to you. And in submission, Lord, as we are exhorted there this morning to one another, to those over us in particular. We lift up, God, our brothers and sisters who are persecuted in difficulties across the world. Again, thankful, Lord, uh, for the Ukrainian Reformed churches that we know of, at least, uh, that are secure and safe thus far. But especially, Lord, for those in Africa and the Middle East with the uh, Muslims in the difficult times and the Christians, that is the Muslims who become Christians and they know they're going to perhaps lose their family and may even have a, a death threat upon them. Be with them, God. Help them find uh, faithful churches, Lord. We thank you for the Middle East Reform Fellowship and we ask that they would be helpful to that end. We pray for others in the Africa, God, and in China and in North Korea, Lord, that are hidden and underground and have to hide from the civil magistrates, Lord, from their neighbors, perhaps, God. They don't know who to trust and the kind of terror and difficulties they live in. Be with them, we pray. Strengthen our brothers and sisters, Lord. Watch over them, both body and soul. Give them strong and godly leaders and shepherds who are there desirous to protect them, both body and soul. Especially, of course, the soul, Lord. Give them instruction in the truth of your word and the fullness of the word of God. Give them access to the Bible. We pray, God. Be with them, we ask and your saints across this world, Lord. Our hearts go out to them. We pray for ourselves, God, that we uh, who are quickly becoming a minority, those who love the Word of God in the West, that it's so much glorious past of Christianity in spite of the many, as we know, blemishes of sin upon our history. And yet, God, 
We are dwindling now in more and more hatred towards Christianity in the West. We pray for us, Lord, to stand firm and do what we are called and not to buckle in to the kind of different kind of pressures. It's certainly not persecution in the way our brothers and sisters have, but it's still uh, a real difficulty for more and more Christians, Lord, that they would not give in to the, the peer pressure, God, that they would be courageous to stand firm, Lord, and to submit to you and not to the fear of the world around them. Be with us, we pray, God, that we too would stand firm and do the right thing, we pray, a little bit here and there every day. Help us, God, this week. We pray that this sermon, that this time of worship, being in your presence in a special way, Lord, would be an encouragement for our hearts that we can carry on with music and joy throughout this week and doing our callings and submissions in life. In your name alone, we pray for your glorious name alone. Amen and amen. We now have the tithes and offerings. Let us rise. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So God, this evening, we who give these tithes and offerings ask for your blessings upon them, God, and the use and your special providence for the good of the church of Jesus Christ and for the glory of your name. Amen. You may be seated. Let us turn to our Bibles to Psalm 30. Psalm 30, let us listen attentively to the word of God. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried unto you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and to the Lord I made my supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You have turned For me, my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. 
O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let us pray. With this psalm, God, the passion of David, as we read here, Lord, may our passions coincide as well, Lord. May we rejoice with his rejoicing and be somber with his sobriety, God, and always praise you forevermore. We thank you, God Almighty, for you do answer our prayers often as we desire, sometimes as we know in a different way than we ever expected. But Lord, here we see especially, God, that you do indeed answer his prayer and our prayer, God, in many ways that we do desire because you are our Father and you love us. In your name alone we pray. Amen. So obviously we have here a psalm of praise. There are different types of psalms, four or five, depending on how you slice the pie. This is clearly a psalm of praise. Praise for answered prayer in particular. It is typical in many ways of other psalms of praise and gratitude, highlighting God's goodness, highlighting God's mercy, highlighting God's grace. But it's a little different as well. Halfway through the prayer, he takes apparently a U-turn and reflects upon his own error and folly. Now my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. And yet you turn your face from me, he says, and so I cried out to you. He was brought low by God Almighty. And so from that perspective, we see it's an interesting and informative psalm that we can learn thereby. We see here we have three main points. The first one, extolling God for deliverance, verses 1 through 5. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up. I will praise you. I will magnify your name. Praise, as we know, is part of the Christian life. Christian without praise is a confused Christian, a subdued Christian, a sad Christian. And, of course, it's not just on Sundays. It's whenever God helps us throughout our life. He doesn't say, Lord, I'll extol you only on Sunday or the Sabbath day of the Old Testament, Saturday, for you have lifted me up. But when God has indeed lifted him up, and whenever that is, we can extol and praise our God on high. As we know, ultimately it becomes a public, although initially here it seems like he is speaking uh, only of himself, that he worships God, he is happy what God has done for him, has answered his prayer. He has not let, as he says here, my foes rejoice over me, that is, they have not had victory over me as king of Israel and the like. And so he is happy, he is excited that God has indeed done these special things for him. And so we are called as David to meditate upon God's goodness and to praise him throughout our lives, to slow down even throughout the week, and to reflect upon what he has done for us, always with a heart ready to extol our God for the wonderful things that he has done for us, which means we need to have a heart of humility, we need to have eyes of illumination so that we're paying attention to seeing the good that God has done for us and not take it for granted. Now he, interestingly here in this praise we have through here, has a a somewhat detailed praise of God, he says in verse 2, O Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. Some commentators, and it seems reasonable, think he has some kind of sickness, because he describes that you brought up my soul from the grave. You kept me alive. He was so sick, it seems, that he was about to die, and yet God delivered him. Often in the Psalms, as you notice, it's not very specific. It's just broad descriptions of sin, broad descriptions of of praise and the like, but here it's a little more detailed. Of course, in our lives we are called to give detailed praise by virtue of what we know of our own circumstances. The Psalms 
as only God can write them through David and others, is written in such a way there's enough specificity to tantalize your imagination, but not so much that it doesn't seem relevant to you at all. If you mention a specific sin, Lord, thank you for the cancer or something, the rest of us are like, oh, he had a cancer. I don't know what that's like. I never had cancer. But if you back up one more layer of detail, just with some kind of sickness and God healed him, we can all associate with that, can't we? Okay, yeah, sure. And you could fill in the blanks, as it were, of the details. And so that's the genius of the Psalms, because that's the genius of God in giving us the Psalms to relate to us in our lives. So specificity is important in our life, and and that when we praise God, we should praise Him with specificity, with the specific things that He has answered in our lives for us, in His providence, the goodness upon us, in our families, in our employment, and everything else that God has indeed done for us through His Holy Spirit. So, although here again we don't have that specificity, we have a little more than other texts of the Bible. God works through providence to help them. Now, When he says, the Lord, you have healed me, it could have been miraculous, but it doesn't have to be miraculous. Obviously, we say today, God healed me. The cancer is gone. The sickness is gone. The chronic ailment is gone. My weird condition no one else has ever had is gone. That's not necessarily a miracle. But we, when we say God did it, we recognize God's behind all things in providence in life. He gave me that doctor. He gave me that medication. He gave me whatever I needed in time and space to overcome this ailment, and I praise him for that because he did not have to give it to you. That's what he's referring to here because as a good Jew or believer of God in the Old Testament, as we see in Wednesday nights going through Samuel, how... Even the servants acknowledge that God is behind all things. They don't get detailed. They're not going to give you a systematic theology of it. But they recognize in the case of Saul, there's something wrong with Saul, but even God's behind Saul's sickness. They saw God everywhere in that sense. Not in terms, of course, Eastern mysticism, where they see God inside the chair, God's part of a chair or something, but that God is guiding all things and protecting his people and moving and directing as only he can in this mysterious almighty power. So here, David, of course, gives a good praise, acknowledgement of God's sovereign power in healing us. Any deliverance, not just sickness of healing us, is enough for us to extol our God. Material issues that we have, our body, monies, jobs, relationships, healing us through doctors and other means, providing us with a needful job, contacts, skill sets, watching over us, and our accidents and near misses. You've heard from myself, and you've had them yourself as well, I'm sure, especially as Denver keeps growing. Protecting us through surgeries. These are not natural acts devoid of God's hands, but they are God in action. And of course, not just the material things and blessings from God and healing us, and guiding us and protecting us, but the spiritual and sanctifying us and delivering us from our sins day by day and our attractions to sin as he kills them and we mortify the flesh by his strength. When Bible verses come to mind, that's God working through us and his spirit in particular, of parental admonitions that echo in our heads. We stop from the sin and we repent. That's God working, and we praise the Lord for healing us against that sin, healing us towards more like Jesus and being more righteous and holy. 
Indeed, the Lord has brought my soul up from the grave. He has kept us alive, not just physically, but especially spiritually. We are born again. And he sustains us in our new birth, as only he can by his spirit and dwelling in us. David knows this, as we read elsewhere in Psalm 56, I think it is. Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. He knows he needs God's spirit to maintain and keep his healing, to keep his spiritual life going, and he praises the Lord for that. He gives a public praise. I mentioned and hinted at privately, I will extol you, God. He doesn't mention other people. But he himself, even if no one else praises God, even if no one else comes to worship, he himself will be there. He will praise God. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his. Verse 4, the second point, or end of the first point. Excuse me, we're still in the first point. The praising and extolling of God. Sing praises to the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, you saints of his. He's telling all his brothers and sisters, let us all rejoice and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. David's office is a public office, of course, and what happens to him affects the church. If he had a public sickness as a king, the nation would be worried, and they would pray for him and cry out to God. And he's delivered, and so there's public praise, and he reminds them to do that. And obviously, if we have any public deliverance of the church of God, we have days of thanksgiving, as we used to have more frequently of old in early America, where they mentioned Jesus Christ by name. Deliverance of your family is a public deliverance, and you have your ways of rejoicing and exercising that praise. You tell your brothers and your sisters, you tell your mothers and your fathers that God has done wonderful things for us. We give thanks to remembrance of his name, and we sing praise to the Lord publicly. And it's here, if it's as it looks like, David himself has some kind of sickness, and he recovers. Everyone rejoices. That's not just a New Testament principle, right? You should rejoice when others are rejoicing. You should be weeping when others weep, we read in the New Testament. It's a universal principle. We see it here in practice. They're all happy because the king has been delivered, and we shall all be happy when each of us is blessed and delivered by God's special providence. And thus, that draws and strengthens us close together as God's people. So that's extolling God in the first five verses. And verse 6 and following... We read, although tied there to verse 4, he bleeds into verse 6 here. But uh, for his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We praise God because his anger is temporary. We praise God because his favor is life. We praise God because although he punishes us in providence at at times as a father disciplines his children that he loves, that weeping is but for a short period, and joy comes quickly. That seems to be the connection here, verse 4 to verse 6, where he says, now my prosperity, I said I shall never be moved. It looks like he was confident at times in wherever he was. So perhaps there he's admitting his pride, And his fall from prosperity, Lord, by your favor, you have made my mountain stand strong. And so I I stood firm and I stood up and I said, look, God has established me. I shall never be moved. Maybe he was thinking of his money, his land, his security as a king. And he fell thinking of that security instead of relying upon God, being proudful instead of humble. 
And so God hid his face from him, and he was troubled. He cries out to the Lord, and Lord, he made supplication for healing. Or it could all be tied to his sickness, that God brought the sickness upon him because of that pride. We don't know specifically. He doesn't get that specific here. But it certainly is the case that God has established us, as we read here in verse 7. He has made our mountain or our stronghold materially, financially, physically, he has established us. We are healthy. We're financially healthy, we say. Use that metaphor. Physically healthy. Spiritually healthy because of Him. It's by God's favor, not our own. When we say, I shall never be moved, it should be because God is with us, not because of our own self-sufficiency. Whenever we speak of prosperity or decisions that we've made, and we stand firm and believe we're doing the right thing, it's always with the attitude, if the Lord wills, right? Because it could change in his providence. We don't have that special knowledge. Prosperity, of course, is not necessarily a sign of pride, but, of course, it is a special temptation of prosperity to have said pride. It's a warning a number of times in the Bible. Don't put your trust in riches, but in the Lord our God. And he recollects some of his prayer there, and verses 7b to 10, he cries out, as he does elsewhere in the Psalms, Lord, by your favor you have made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face and I was troubled. I cried out to you in response to the difficulty I find myself in, myself in my sickness perhaps there in verse 2. Oh Lord, I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? I think he's... Uh, quoting himself in a prior prayer. It's still part of the recollection here. In my prosperity, I had said this, and God had punished me, apparently, let me fall. And so I cried out to him. This is some of the language of him crying out there in verses 8, 9, and 10. And there when he says, what profit is there in my blood, right, verse 9, when I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? If you let me die, Lord, how can I be useful for your kingdom is what he's saying. Which is yet another roundabout way of saying, don't take me now. <laughs> I don't want to die now. But he pleads, and it's interesting in the pleading here, I don't think he's in sin at all. We can make pleads like this, God, don't take me. I, want, I have more things I wish to do for your people, for your kingdom, for my family. That's not wrong any more than a child pleading with a father. If that's your heart attitude which presumably it is here for David. Because you don't know until you're dead if God will answer your prayer. (laughs) You keep praying, like I said, for your brothers and sisters, for your children, as long as there is breath in them. And same with yourself, as he pleads here. Because he was at death's door, we read in verse 2 and 3, right? You brought my soul up from the grave. You kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit or Sheol or the place of the dead. And so he pleads, and we can plead, and God wants us to plead. And we read a, a similar a parable of Christ and the poor woman. I think she was a widow, I don't recall. And she pleads with the judge. Keep pleading. Help me, he says. Hear, O Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, be my helper. You can almost hear the raw emotion in his voice in these words. Never fear praying to God. 
even if you can't fully articulate your words. Praise forevermore, verses 11 through 12. And so he comes back to the present, it seems. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Now, I would say it's figurative, except David, we know, did dance. (laughs) He danced before the ark, right? And his wife was embarrassed. (laughs) But we don't have to dance as much, but certainly we should dance in our soul. That's what he's referring to. This uh, uh, picturesque way of describing happiness. He's overjoyed. God delivered him from his sickness, delivered him from his enemies, even my foes rejoiced over me. Verse 1, God has done good for him. And so he has turned from mourning over his pride and mourning over this fallen world to joy and gladness and dancing before his Lord and Savior for the good that he has bestowed upon David. Whatever the reason, God has been good, and God is greater than our grief, greater than our difficulties. You have put off my sackcloth, right? They put on this clothing that's harsh and itchy upon themselves to remind themselves and show the world how serious they take their repentance, how serious they take their grief and their difficulties, and clothe me with gladness instead. God has been good, and he rejoices, and he's happy indeed, and he rejoices here and now on this earth, and the saving of ourselves and our family, perhaps from financial ruin, although his was ailments and sicknesses, uh, we have other sicknesses as well, sickness of the soul that we fight against, sickness of financial burdens, the like, and of course, sicknesses of our body. Whatever it is, God has, as we've seen in our own lives, I believe, turned our mourning into dancing at times. We've put off the sackcloth of grief and crying before the Lord and been clothed with gladness. God has delivered us from ailments and sicknesses and delivered us from financial ruin even at times in our lives and protected us in everyday travels. Whatever the case is, God is good, especially for our soul. David often talks about the things he deals with in everyday life as a king. (laughs) That's not quite everyday for us. But for him as a king, he's a public figure, he's a public object of hatred by the enemies of Israel, obviously. Often it's physical, material things. His reputation, they're coming after him, they're talking behind his back, they're making plans and machinations, right, to take him down. We read in the other Psalms, take out the king uh, by politicking and also by swords, just stab him. But he never forgets behind all this that God has protected his soul and watched over his soul. And many of the texts, as we know in the Psalms, are broad enough or vague enough to apply to the spiritual realities that God is with us. And God has indeed given us many things that we may praise his name forevermore. All the spiritual blessings he's bestowed upon us, the word of God, both the law and the gospel, the means of grace that we have been given, the access to God through prayer and the church of Jesus Christ that we are members of here and now to the end that we may glory, verse 12, and sing praises to you and not be silent. God is good, brothers and sisters, and we looked upon our providence, what God has done, and our histories. That's why it's good to recollect and tell your stories to your children and your children's children to remember these things, that God has protected you 
in your foolishness, or perhaps your pride, as we see in verse 6. And so that we may give thanks forevermore. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I can't stop giving thanks to you. The beginning of the Christian life is thanksgiving to him. The end of the Christian life is further thanksgiving to our Lord and Savior. That certainly begins in our hearts, moves out into our mouths, and prays before him, not just on Sunday. Of course, we have special days or hours of thanksgiving. It doesn't always have to be public. It could be our family, as I mentioned before, or close members of our family, that we may see and be encouraged by one another that God has been good to us. And we rejoice when others rejoice and weep when others, others weep as well. This is a good thing to do, that we may be thankful that God has done these wonderful things for us. He has blessed us. He has protected us. He's watched over us. Churches have special days, as we know, in celebration of God establishing them and sustaining them. God gave us a blessing. We should not take it for granted here at Providence or anywhere else. We are dust, and God owes us nothing. But the dust cannot praise him, as we read here. And so we long that God will continue to keep us here so that we can continue to do what we want to do, which is good works, obedience to him, to work in God's kingdom, to do our duty before him, and to help one another. Praise begins now. Praise continues in our life and will flow into eternity, he speaks of here. My God, I will give thanks to you forever. It is not hyperbole. He believes in a resurrection. He believes in a new heaven and a new earth. So when he means forever, he means forever. And that's what we long for, brothers and sisters, in this weary world of ours, as I saw a meme recently in which you see the coronavirus leaving through a door and going off the scene, and another door opens with a missile walking in. It just seems one thing after another, this valley of tears we find ourselves in, and although we may not have many days of dancing and many days of being clothed with gladness, it will come to its full fruition when Christ Jesus returns, brothers and sisters. And we shall indeed put off sackcloth and be clothed with gladness. My Lord and my God, we shall thank him and praise him forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. What else can we say, God, but to quote the psalmist here, Lord, and agree wholeheartedly and desire for your return, Jesus Christ, and ask, Lord, and plead that even now we could have some more dancing and some more clothing of gladness upon us, God, for those especially who are struggling, we pray. In your name alone, amen and amen. Let us stand and let us sing Psalm 30, 30.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon you all. Amen.